When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon and welcome everybody. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Great to be with you. Good Monday. How you doing? Buddy, all right? Some of you, uh, obviously, you had some teams left. Fine for a Super Bowl position or probably hurting a little bit. That's what happens. Get this close, you either get in, you don't. But uh, that said, we will certainly have the conversation. We'll also talk about some other things involving Florida State. Some boneheaded mistakes at the end of that Clemson game. I'm not going to belabor the point because the season's lost already. But damn it, man, that hurt some feelings. Just a little bit. Not a prolonged, sustained frustration. Just a temporary, I need a beer after that loss. That's uh, not what you do. You know they're going to get, you got to make them change directions. Woo. That'll hurt your feelings. That's the old cliche, stop the ball. Mm. And it capped, unfortunately, what was a really entertaining final 12 minutes or so of that game. A lot of good offensive basketball. You might say bad defense, but you know what? In a year where entertaining offensive basketball is, has been hard to find. Slim. That was a good second half. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's brutal. It's um, And there's, there's some little subtle things there that you can do to kind of help your guys out that didn't get done either that frustrate me a little bit. But... So be it. Good to be with you. Thanks for being with us. I'm Jeff. That is Tom. Director Matthew in the house as well. You can bet he's a happy man. His Eagles are on the way to the Super Bowl. Had a rather easy time of it once we were down to children playing quarterback and people running around like running reverses on every play. Um, I hope he took an Uber here. I would imagine the party raged into the (laughs) night for Director Matthew. Uh, Oh, my goodness gracious. And then my hero, Joe Burrow, came up just short. Damn it, man. That, he tried. That third and 16. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> you made me laugh, by the way. That was funny. I didn't see it till later on, but that, that cracked me up. Yeah. It was harrowing. I was rooting for the. I found myself, yeah. you know, look, I, I've always enjoyed the talents of Joe Burrow, just not on your level. Yeah. So I stay away from it. But independently of my, my own domicile, I do root for Joe. I got no problem. Less than zero problem with Patrick Mahomes. Love watching him, too. He's a great but player. By the second half of that game, as some of the calls go against them, you get a do-over because Ron Torbert winds the clock when he shouldn't have. Like, these things start stacking together. I'm saying, yeah. all right, Joe, you do it. Go you do it. Do, yeah, it. Yeah. do the damn thing, Joe. And <laughs> you unfortunately, know he an, didn't. You know, it's an underrated aspect of that game that gets overlooked. And I'm not... The punter being awful? No. Oh. Second and one, they threw two bombs in the penultimate series. What are we doing? What are we doing here? I mean, I, I get it. You've got Joe Burrow. Get your first down. Get your first down. It was. It's sort of an underrated. It'll go overlooked. I'll I'll talk about that in a bit. But it was it was strange to me. I don't usually get upset with play calling, especially because Cincinnati's had a very good offense for some time now. Well, since Joe Burrow arrived. But honestly, it was weird on second and one bombs away. I get the bombs away on second down, or if you want to reverse it, however you want to do it, you got to get your first down though. 
Uh, well, I think it's kind of like when a, a three-point shooter like a J.R. Smith, and Joe Burrow's far better at his sport than J.R. Smith was at his, but when you throw a prayer up on fourth and forever and Chase comes down with it, that might be the wrong kind of reinforcement where you're thinking, oh, I could just do this whenever I want. Well, when you have Chase, you can and yeah. should take yeah. chances. Uh, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, especially if, if, if you're going to continue to place the ball perfectly on that back shoulder where he can turn and make catches yeah. like that. There were some others, That's what too. Joe does. <laughs> the one to Hurst, which was really ill-advised. That's well covered, but it was a perfect ball in the end zone. Mm-hmm. And Romo and Nance couldn't stop talking about that particular one. I'm like, really? There have been 15 <laughs> been better 15 throws in this game between yeah. the two quarterbacks. So it is. We are all set up um, as the one seeds are playing. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's not shocking. I thought that uh, it, I, as a football fan, because I don't root for the Eagles and I don't root for the 49ers and I don't root for the Chiefs. And I do like Joe Burrow, but I'm not a Cincinnati fan. So all I would say is that I wanted to see really compelling games. We got one in the second game. That first one was over early in the second quarter. Um, I mean, once the injury happened uh, and you saw Josh Johnson come out there, I was like, oh, he's still in the league? That's the same Josh Johnson? He's still in the league? Look, man. You know, I ended up looking this up. Here's a trivia question for you. You know, he's been in the league for 15 years, so yeah. it's it's impressive. So I was in college, yeah. Yeah. All right. How much money do you think he's made in his career? So you're going to— He's been on 13 teams— He's played fifteen different in parts of fifteen different seasons. I think was that right? So fifteen, yeah, fifteen seasons off and on. And on. I don't know, ten and a half million. That's a great guess. I I grossly overestimated what it would mean because I didn't realize that like eight of the fifteen years he was on a practice squad. Yeah, you get a hundred hundred grand. You get like year. get next yeah. to nothing. Yeah, he's made eight million dollars. Okay. Yeah. So hey, listen, he's carved out a nice life. If he, nice life, if he saved some money, then he's fine. Plus the pension, the veteran. Oh pension. yeah, he's vetted, so he's he's yeah. he's, he's good to go. Um. But I, I did I did think about it. I'm like, man, 15 years in the league, he's got to make $50 million. And then I didn't think about, oh, well, over half of them he was on a practice squad. Anyhow, when he had to come out there, I was like, oh, well, this game is over. You know the dumbest thing, and it gets overlooked because it worked out. Man, I, <laughs> it's hard to criticize a team that wins going away. What are we doing running around with Jalen Hurts up? San Francisco cannot score. The game is over in the second quarter. They cannot score. Yeah. Why are we running our quarterback it's, into the second half? What are we doing here? It's the turnover score before halftime. Yeah, That's it's when it's over. It's over. They were dilly-dallying a little bit. Philly, you know, the quarterback goes down. How is this 7-7? Seven to seven? You could feel that energy. Like, how is this still 7-7? Seven to seven? Mm-hmm. You're telling me this is a race to 13 or 16? Because if it is... Anybody can win this game, but then when they get to 21, it's just that's an uncatchable number, especially when that next kickoff return. Right. I was like, oh, if he houses this, we might might actually have have something. I went and took a great nap beginning at halftime. You were smart because you knew you wanted to see the night game. Yeah, Indeed. I had to fight to stay stay up. Luckily, the game was so compelling. It was easy. That second half, it went to a a better level. It was easy to do. The AFC game. That second half was awesome. It was fantastic. Tonight at 7 o'clock, the ACC releases the schedule on the ACC network, and I'll have an opportunity to join Corey and Ira on Warchant TV. We will do a little watch-along, if you will, with that, and it should be fun. You know, I will tell you this. Ordinarily, and it may happen during today's show. We'll see if it's possible. But ordinarily, we're able to uh, get an early look at the schedule that um, in, in past seasons, in past years, as the schedule was set to come out, uh, you could tap into sources and 
If you worked hard enough early on, you could find those early releases. But I think, given that they've now made this, and this is smart because the ACC network hasn't done a lot of smart things. So when they do do something that you're supposed to do, I'll give them credit. You know, they have now guarded this thing like it's gold because they have a show centered around the schedule release that they're trying to get you to watch. And if you can keep that thing from leaking, then that show becomes watchable and important and something you want to see. And so this time around, the five or six folks that I usually knock, 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 hey, got that schedule, got a little, man, there's a couple of dubious supposed early glimpses at the schedule but nothing that can be confirmed like it can in years past. So I give the ACC credit. They, they've put that schedule release on lockdown for the most part, and it's hard to find. I think they've threatened people's lives, proverbially speaking. It's smart, though. I mean, you have got to. I would think if you're running that network and you've had all of these missteps, you've made all of these terrible mistakes in the past that make the network unwatchable, that this is something. I mean, it's right out of the NFL. This is what the NFL does. I mean, they make every month of the year an NFL centric um, information gathering center where you have to, oh, what's going on here? Oh, minicamp. Oh, this and that, the schedule. So you, you would have to tell people, listen, I don't, I don't care. Not your best friend, not your father, not your mother, not anybody. We can't let this get out. We have a show at 7 o'clock. It may be one of the few watched programs we have. Please, let's not let this thing slip out there into the interwebs. It more than quadruples our non-live sports ratings for the entirety of the first, second quarter of the year. This is it. This is all we've got. And it is interesting because although we know the non-conference portion of Florida State's schedule. Well, we know the whole schedule. We just don't know the We know the opponents. Right. Yeah, but there are a lot of things to sort out here in terms of what does the ACC want to prioritize. Correct. Because you you could do it one way or the other. You could say Florida State and Clemson need to play early so that you can build a narrative that they're going back towards each other in a championship game. You could play it later in the year when they're both, in theory if it's your best kind of a year for the ACC, top 10 teams, and then you get two matchups in November to capitalize on, you could go either way with that. And then FSU has a lot of weird traveling to do. we got to go to Pitt this year. First time in 10 years since yeah. you've been there. I was there with my pops on the 50, excited to watch Jameis and see what he was, only to find out he was that kind of kid. And we have the bookends to the schedule with yeah. LSU, Southern Florida. Miss, and then Florida and the other one we play. Yeah, yeah, uh, North Alabama. North Alabama. Yeah, I... We, we, yeah, again, I am mostly excited about the order only because, again, football is a war of attrition. We know this. Football is oftentimes about when you play people and how quickly do you play or how many difficult games, that is to say teams with close to equal talent or are capable. Uh, how many games of those do you play back-to-back? Do you? Do you have back-to-back tough road games? You know, these kinds of things. And so, you know, we always have the look-ahead games. We get into that stuff. Um, and and I think it's it's usually easier when we do W's and L's. You know, you and I will circle, oh, this is a pitfall. This is a look-ahead game. This is a trap game. This is So that's why you, you want to look at times and the order of things. You already know who you're going to play. And in a vacuum, it's easy to say what you think is going to happen. Well, and this year for travel, because the – conference footprint is all the way from the bottom of the United States all the way to the Canadian border pretty much. You got to go to Boston and you got to go to Pitt. So those two Northeastern trips, you'd prefer those not be around rivalry games. And by that, I mean preceding 
one of your rivalry games well, between Clemson in, in or Miami. In particular, the uh, the pick game, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, Boston that, College, I don't care when the That would be, it. yes, if you're doing order of operations in terms of difficulty, as we sit here today on the conference mm-hmm, slate, mm-hmm. it's Clemson far and away in their own tier. And then after that, it's probably Pitt on the road and then Miami at home in terms of danger of losing. I know you had Duke on that list. Well, as well. no, you and but I had a conversation. Yeah, but we had a conversation about can you name a game that nobody would circle to suggest that it is a, a potential upset or a shocker. And I said, well, if you want to go way out on the on a limb, you would say what Elko did at Duke in year one portends of a program that is going to be a thorn in the side of many. Certainly Miami yearly, but we've never lost to Duke, unlike Miami, who has several times. It's a rivalry. Good yeah. one. Yeah. But what I would suggest is that when you have a guy that in year one leads his team to a top 35 defense in the country, statistically, and top five in the ACC, uh, I think they're only going to get better. He's, he'll be in year two. So that could be a team that if you didn't play well and you weren't focused and you turned it over a couple of times, you could be in, you could be in uh, for a game in the fourth quarter. And, and you would not predict that in the preseason. So that's that's how they came up in my mind. I am curious to see when we play them. Well, yeah, that that game that follows Clemson would be the big one, right? In terms of the, hmm, is that Duke here? Is that Pitt on the road? Like, would you have to play Clemson on the road followed by Pitt on the road? These are the things that we're going to be mining for. Tonight, yeah. That can affect maybe by a half win your projections. If you're good, if you're really good, uh, you don't worry too much about the order of games. You just pay attention to them to make travel plans. But we all know how football works. And the bye week. And the bye week, indeed. When is it? Is it early? Is it late? Get it right in the middle of the season the way we'd prefer. All fun things, all fun topics. By the way, so you and I were asked to uh, comment. We did a video uh, that we used for today's show. It's the only uh, thing. We, we did it right before the show started. The rest of the show is live today. But we did a tape segment uh, about an hour ago. And um, we were answering a question in that was in the chat. And I thought it was applicable to today, and so did you. And so, nonetheless, uh, we talked about it. And I think we should use it here in a second just to further the topic, which is, you know, if you're if you're a championship-caliber team, if you're an elite team, you handle the schedule relatively, you know, worry-free. There's two to three games that you would circle that you'd say, in this conference, in this sorry-ass conference, where you would say, come on, I mean, that you know, Short of this game or that game on the road, I'm not all that worried. But then we were talking about that per the chat. Like, where is FSU's depth at? Yeah, they got better players and more of them than they had two years ago or a year ago. But then there's a whole other level of championship pedigree where we talk about a five-star gets hurt and a five-star replaces them like they do at Georgia, like we used to do when we were championship caliber. And where is Florida State relative to that level of depth? They're better. They're deeper. But are they championship deep? And I think the answer is no, but to what degree? We discussed it. You'll hear it next. Jeff Cameron, Show 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Champ TV. What's up, guys? Our next partner that you're going to hear from is Athletic Greens. You've heard me talk about Athletic Greens in the past. Happy to talk about them again. I take Athletic Greens every day. And I gave them a try because certainly I wanted more energy, sustained energy. I wanted to support my immune system. I don't like taking pills and vitamins per se. And I wanted something that tasted good too. And the first time I tried it, I was very surprised. Uh, It had an appreciable effect on my energy levels. 
And also, uh, over time, you'll note that it uh, it helps your skin, your hair, your nails. I don't have a lot of hair, but if I did, I bet I could feel that. I bet I could tell. It's a comprehensive health uh, habit, and uh, it is a, a powerful one at that. AG1 is great for recovery. Uh, that's Athletic Greens. And uh, I, I take mine basically when I wake up every morning. I don't have to worry about it because you get all the nutrients that you want. It's the best way to ensure that you're going to get all of your vitamins. It's a carbon-neutral business, by the way, if that's important to you. It is to a lot of people, and that's good to know as well. I would also note that uh, it is a comprehensive solution to what you need from a supplement routine. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs right now with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Helps me out, guys, if you use that. Not financially, but it lets them know that you heard this ad on my show. And I do take it, and I am vouching for them because I enjoy their product. Athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Check it out. I think you'll note the difference in your life with a simple drink each and every morning to start your day. Athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3, Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Tom and I were talking during the break. There was something that came up last week in the chat, and we never readdressed it. And I thought it was interesting. It's fun to, to have these conversations. Um, it, it has to do with championship-level depth. And, and I'll preface it, Tom, before we get started here with this, because um, it, it's we, we did a video. Me and Corey and Gene did a video on Warchant.com last week. And there was a conversation surrounding that amongst the listeners and the people on the board about whether or not Florida State could be considered a playoff contender. And I thought, well, if we're just considering playoff contenders, uh, last year was a good year for college football because I think at any one time there might have been eight or nine teams that were certainly playoff contenders. And the fact that TCU played for a national championship, I think is really good for college football. But I also think it broadens the scope of who we think is a playoff contender. So TCU was sub 500 the year before uh, they have a new coaching staff and they played for the national title. Now, obviously they came up woefully short against a team like Georgia, but they did play for the championship. So they uh, came out of left field, if you will, to be a playoff contender. But if they're a playoff contender based on their depth or lack thereof, an average star rating of player transfer portal contributions, junior and senior level participation participation in snaps. If you look at what they were, well, then Florida State is every bit a playoff contender. I mean, it's not close. And, and what that does is it welcomes in maybe eight or nine more teams that you would say, if we were having this conversation at a, you know for another team site, we would say, oh, yeah, yeah, we're a playoff contender. And you might roll your eyes and be like, really? But I could tell you Tennessee is a playoff contender based on this. LSU is a playoff contender based on this. Uh, Florida State's a playoff contender. TCU's a playoff contender. Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama. We can go on here. You know, you're going to end up with 15 playoff contenders, which is a good thing for com you know competitive balance in college football. But it is a different discussion, and TCU found this out, as to whether or not you have competitive depth, national championship caliber competitive depth and that's kind of and i'm paraphrasing that's kind of what came up on the chat and this is where i typically push back on some of the other guys whether it's me and ira talking me and Corey talking uh i push back a little bit 
when we start talking about is Florida State a national championship contender? Because I think that they would need some things to happen. Because invariably, if you do run into the juggernaut that is Georgia, with their competitive depth, national championship depth, what you find is exactly what was spelled out before the TCU-Georgia game. And that is that stockpiling elite recruiting classes, whether they threw the transfer portal, which is the modern way of viewing it, or they threw traditional recruiting, which is the high school ranks and grabbing as many five stars as you can or four, four and five stars as you can. The bottom line is usually there has been a level of com- compiling where you have three, four, five, six years worth of elite recruiting classes because that is how you survive an injury to your starting left tackle. That is how you survive an injury to the number one receiver in the country. That is how you re- you know survive um, a lack of linebacker depth and having to go to your second or third guy at linebacker or in the trenches. And so while I think Florida State is every bit a playoff contender, could maybe even reach the national championship game, I think the, the more compelling question is, how close is Florida State to having championship caliber depth? Tom, by the way, before you respond, just so you know, um, as we were talking about this, if you look at last year before the, the national championship game, there was an article uh, that I read. I don't, I don't remember if it was a USA Today article or whatever it was, but they were comparing the two rosters and they were talking about who's got more blue chippers. Well, I mean, it's a, I mean, everybody knows who's got more blue chippers. Yeah. But what they ended up talking about was TCU relied heavily on player development and for players to outperform their prospect pet pedigree, for lack of a better term. Whereas Georgia obviously can fall back. And if you want to use compilation rankings, you want to use rivals rankings, you want to use on threes rankings. The bottom line was, Georgia had 15 players who were five-star recruits on the roster. They had, you know, Jalen Carter and 53, 53, Tom, four-star recruits on the roster. So you had 15 five-stars and 53 four-stars compiled in on this. It's insane. It's an abundance of riches. Florida State does not have an abundance of riches. They've moved into a place where they can win the conference, where they can beat anybody on any given day where they're starting 22 is good enough to compete at a high level, maybe even make it really interesting in a game against Georgia in a one-off on a neutral site. Yes, they have that championship level depth where they can withstand frontline injuries to key starters. They do not have that in my opinion. Yeah. I think it always depends on the position group and, you know, even that 2013 title team here in Tallahassee, we'll put quarterback aside. Anybody who loses their starting quarterback is, is in trouble, be, is in real trouble. Like you just don't have to that Ohio state team that won the first national championship in the playoff is the exception, not the rule. They went through two guys. Cardell Jones is the one that puts them over the top and finishes the job. But in 2013, let's take that Seminoles group. If Jameis goes down, the chances of you winning the national title are greatly diminished. It's a really good football team. But the other places that they did not have championship-level depth, in my opinion, but even back then, the offensive line, who was their seventh-best offensive lineman? Yeah, they stayed healthy. They stayed healthy there. You're right. A problematic player. Linebacker, probably in retrospect as well, did not have championship-level depth for the 2013 Seminoles. You might have had another guy, but if, like, Telvin went down, holy cow, you're in, you're in big trouble. This group, this this upcoming year, 
has championship-level depth in more places than the program has in a long, long time. In a way, I'd almost argue they have more depth on the offensive line this upcoming season than they did in 2013, which is really strange. Do they have frontline talent the way that 2013 team did? Probably not, but they've got seven options to ten options, depending upon how these two camps go in the offensive line. I think they've got the depth necessary at wide receiver now which is amazing to say, given where they were two years ago. I think we all agree at running back, they have the depth. That's quite, quite good. But on defense is where you have the issues. Defensive end, they do not have championship quality depth. Linebacker, certainly not. Safety, probably not, unless they go get another transfer. Corner, they don't. So the defense is the problematic side, where your frontline guys can get you through and get you to good places. But if you suffer three or four key injuries on the defensive side of the ball, you got problems. Only defensive tackle, to me, is a place where you're approaching championship-level depth because you bring back Fabian Lovett and you have Fisk and now you have Daryl Jackson and you got Farmer and some of those younger guys. You've got, and Malcolm Ray still in the, in the rotation as well. So you've got a lot of solutions there. But they don't have it top to bottom. Where that, where that championship team for us, which is now 10 years ago, and that's crazy to say, had one or two position groups that are problematic. This, this particular team has probably four or five. Yeah. Problematic. And I want to make an argument, too, that, and this is another area where it's evidenced that they're still climbing. And that's fine. That's fine. They just had a winning season for the first time in five years. I mean, it's okay that you're not there yet. But when you talk about, and it's a nuanced discussion, because when you talk about depth, do you have power five caliber plus players on the two deep, in some spots, yes, like you just mentioned, at wide receiver and at defensive line uh, and at running back. Yeah, they do. Are those elite players, though? No. Like, Georgia had the luxury of replacing one elite top two-round pick in the NFL with another one after that one got hurt. Florida State is not there yet. Florida State's got a plus player, we think, in Fisk, but we don't know really what he is at the Power 5 level yet. He's not played at the Power 5 level yet. So is he a good player? We think so. Was he an elite transfer portal get? Yes. Was he a key depth piece? Absolutely. Does he make Florida State better? We both think likely so. We'll have to see him come spring, and, and it's exciting to come see, you know, get to watch these new guys. Is he an elite player? Is he a five-star dominant player? Well, I mean, probably not. Not if he ended up at Western Michigan. Um, so that's where it's different. Like, when you watch Ohio State and Georgia and teams like that, a lot of times they'll lose a key player, and it's devastating to lose a, a, a game changer. Yeah. But the guy they turn to to replace him is a five-star kid that was just waiting his turn. And that's what the Florida State teams of the 90s did. They were ridiculous. I mean, it was loaded for bear. It was unfair. It was unfair. I, I look back now and realize that if you were a fan of another team uh, in this conference, certainly, you hated FSU because FSU would lose their starting running back or their starting right tackle or their starting linebacker. And then, oh, well, who, who are they replacing them with? I don't know. A guy who's going to get drafted in the first round? You know, that like that that's championship caliber depth. That's a whole different discussion. Now, I'm always careful about how I present that because 
I don't want to take away from the fact that Florida State got better in the offseason, Florida State got deeper in the offseason, and Florida State's prepared to make another run, this time at a conference championship. And by definition, if you win this conference and you have a gaudy record with the schedule that has LSU on it and Florida on it, you're likely to be in the college football playoff. Just doesn't mean that you're equipped to win it all because you have the quality of depth necessary if a few guys get hurt in a war of attrition that football is. Yeah, I think the problem with comparing the 90s to now is just the way the game is played. And Florida State, in, in terms of what it favors, now offense is favored in such a way compared to the 90s. It's crazy. Like, what was the race to in, in those days? I know Florida State hit like 60 or 70 on the regular. Right. Yeah. But what was the race to? 24, you know, yeah. for, most, for most teams. Now it's 35. So at least Florida State is in a position where if you do enough defensively, you're going to win most of your games. Correct. A lot of your games. And that's what I'm judging this in terms of the path to the playoff and then championship caliber depth. So on defense, if Fabian goes down this year, you feel better about your circumstances unless you have multiple injuries to the defensive interior. But you feel better about your chances to hold up against the run where they were awful against the run when he didn't play and he wasn't healthy. I don't think they're going to be awful this year. Obviously, at defensive end, they still need to do some work. Bringing in the Edmund kid was good and verse returning was the whole key to the puzzle there. They need more work at linebacker because if Deloach or Bethune goes down, you've got the same problem you had last year. Unless Blake Nicholson is truly that much of a freak as a true freshman, you've got big problems there. Safety, still need help. Even with Akeem Dent coming back, if he or Shaheen Brown goes down, who the hell is the answer? I don't know. Do you? Nobody does. And corner, you need more development there. Hopefully, Sertan can fill in those gaps. But my point is, the whole goal this year for me on defense is if you can hold teams somewhere between 24 to 27 points a game, on average, when you're playing the better teams, you're going to win those football games. So, And that even would account for a championship-level opponent. I think this offense is going to be opponent agnostic when it comes to the production that they can put up. And it's a little bit different than in those days because in those days it was three yards in a cloud of dust a lot more than it is today, which is spread and go. Well, that's true. Um, when we go through the roster, though, I think you said something that's very true. Florida State is deep enough and talented enough and really, really good on offense, especially with the quarterback that makes it makes it really go. And now they've added these two tight ends. And finally, Florida State's going to have a couple of guys that play a key position in Mike Norvell's offense. So they, they probably expand their uh, ability to be dynamic, obviously, this offseason. I still would argue, though, that the quality of the starters – are not up to par with the best teams in the country. Um, they're just they're just not. They are at some positions. Jordan Travis could play anywhere and start anywhere. He could start at Georgia. Um, that's how good Jordan Travis is now after this past year. Jordan Travis could could conceivably be a starter at one of those places. Um, and there there are a few other guys. I feel like Trey Benson has merged into a guy now that could start anywhere. You know, if he's going to be that guy that we saw in the second half of the season with that size and that speed and that confidence, yeah, he could start anywhere. There aren't a lot of guys I say that about. Verse could. Verse could. Um, Fabian could start a lot of places, but Fabian Lovett's not elite. Fabian Lovett's a good defensive tackle. He's not an elite defensive tackle. Um, so it's interesting. It, you really get into these nuanced discussions. It's weird, too, because it puts you in a position of having to denigrate guys that are really good football players. And it, we're just getting into the fine lines. Well, this is the exercise that we wanted, though. This is the one that we should always be having at Florida State. We weren't allowed to have it because we were just trying to get up on our two feet and walk one yeah. foot in front of the other. Yeah. I like having this conversation. 
My thing is where I, I agree with you. If you just look at NFL combine value or right. coming out of high school value, there is no doubt that Florida State still has a tier to climb up. But in this day and age of the way the game is played and the way offense is valued, it's can you find a way to get to the mid-30s? Because if you can, you're pretty much in every single game. Yeah. Yeah. And that it would include even a championship setting. With this offense having so many options, if I'm a defensive coordinator who approaches Florida State and says, how do I stop them? What do I need to take away? I'm going to take away X. Well, Florida State now has Y and Z available to them in any game. So you want to take away Jordan's ability to run? He'll throw over your head. You want to take away uh, the, the deep shot down the field of Johnny Wilson, double him and play everything underneath? We could do that too, especially now with the tight ends we have. You want to stop the run? Good luck. We'll roll Jordan out. We're going to give him some perimeter RPOs with the passing game. We've got the receivers to go win those battles. It's just, it gets a lot of fun. It, it, it's almost like you, you're taking the inside track and you're cheating around some talent disparity. Yeah, yeah. But you can do it in this day and age. Yeah. And the thing is, could Florida State, the best thing I, I can argue for Florida State in terms of depth and championship depth this year is last year's injuries in the offensive line. I didn't think that they could suffer two injuries to their top seven. They did. They won nine bordering on 10 games. Is that a different animal than Georgia? Yes, of course it is. But they're getting better at all these positions year over year. So I think yeah. they can absorb three or four key injuries to people not named Jordan Travis and still be in the mix, which is so much better than they were a year or two ago. Yeah, we're equipped to have this conversation on a much sturdier platform than we did a year ago. There's no doubt that Florida State is in a conversation where you have to be more nuanced in the way that you discuss what, what they're capable of uh, after suffering a few injuries. Whereas in the past, you could just say summarily dismissed. Yeah. Florida State is done with the conversation if they lose this, 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 and this guy. That's not true anymore. That's not true anymore. They got enough guys that they can keep winning games and they can win the ACC with a few injuries. It's fun. It's more fun to have the conversation about whether it knocks them out of championship contention as opposed to going 500. <laughs> There's no doubt. This is a much better conversation to have. It's Jeff Cambridge, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply check camera show 93.3 real talk radio war chant tv so that was a fun segment hope you enjoyed it kind of getting into sort of a I don't know, probably a more realistic viewpoint of uh, the upcoming campaign. And we got a long time between this time and that one, but admittedly, when expectations get to where you start to talk of very least a conference championship, then it kind of does beg you to uh, endeavor to vet further. But, we, you know, by the way, this week, there is an opportunity to talk to the newcomers uh, for Florida State, and uh, that was released by Florida State's uh, athletic department earlier this week. 
So, um, or earlier today, I should say. And Patrick Sertain on Wednesday is available to the press. The remaining early enrollee freshmen as well will be available to the press this week. So an opportunity to talk not only to Coach Sertan, who I'm really excited to talk about, Brock Glenn, the incoming quarterback, excited to see what he's about, offensive lineman Lucas Simmons, who has a chance to be very special in his time at Florida State. Maybe sooner rather than later, they'll work him into four oh, games this year. He's already got the frame. Yeah, he does. And so he'll be here as well. And then Hakeem Williams will also be talked to. And he's not going to be afraid to have that conversation with the press. And that'll take place uh, Wednesday as well. So all of these, you'll hear from all these gentlemen, you'll hear from this week on Wednesday. Um, sometime around lunch, just after lunchtime, all those interviews will be completed. So there you go. So a way too early jersey number for you, but 79 is Lucas Simmons once we get to spring camp. He's already listed because he's checked in and gone through the process. Yes, he has. Six foot eight, 300 plus pounds so let's, already. Yeah, let's just say you thought, oh, well, they're getting a little carried away. Okay, six foot seven, 305 pounds, 310 pounds. Yeah, he's I think a monster with, with footwork. I think they're keeping it pretty straight down the line, though, because one one example was when Kyle Morlock visited before he had committed to Florida State, and he was mm-hmm. listed at 6'8". I remember doing a show with Michael Langston at that time. He says he's not 6'8", but he's all of 6'5 or 6'6". He's a tall guy. And Kyle Morlock is listed at 6'6 on the spring Florida State roster. So I found that interesting. They weren't going to exaggerate for one of our new tight ends. Simmons was already, I think, 6'7 on the recruiting trail. So this would hold 6'8", 307 is the official listing. Talk about better clay. That is what I'm talking about. Every time Florida State has visitors, and they had visitors over the weekend yet again, you are reminded of the better clay discussion and what they're about to be working with. Now, not all of the kids that have visited here recently are kids that are going to say yes to Florida State. But the caliber of player that is interested in Florida State has upgraded immediately. And then I think from there, you get into uh, discussions about the enthusiasm around the program, the energy around the program, the enthusiasm amongst the recruits. There seems to be a reoccurring theme here. It's pretty funny to me. We talk about the things that coaches allow for in order to acquiesce to recruits. Things like uniform changes and Let's do this. Let's wear this. and Let's wear that. And non-traditional. You know, it, it, it's popular with the kids. The kids really like it, so therefore you should do it. You know, let's just be honest. You know what's popular with the kids? Winning football games. That's, that's all it is. That's all it is. Yeah, personalities matter, meshing, relationships matter. But you have to start by winning football games. That's it. You can wear 755 different uniforms. It doesn't make a damn bit of difference if you're five and seven. I, nobody's like, well, you know, they do change up the uniforms quite a bit. No, they don't care. They don't care. Every one of these kids at varying points when interviewed about their visits have mentioned that Florida State went 10-3. and three. It, it comes up that Florida State won 10 games. Yeah, because they don't want to play for a team that sucks. And all the uniform changes in the world aren't going to make a difference. It's just about whether or not you're winning. All of recruiting, once you're winning, You have to compete against the other teams that are winning. And yes, those relationships matter in a situation where we're on the same plane. I'm winning, you're winning, we're all winning, so what's the difference? Okay, well, playing time might be whether I like this coach, my position coach or not. This region of the country is easy for my parents to get to. Whatever it is. But it all starts with getting eye level 
with the programs you seek to compete against. And so I don't even care. Like I, you'll watch people argue about all of these particular like facets of recruiting. And you're like, no man, it's like when people argue about politics and for years and years and years back in the day, you'd always be like, no, no man, the economy. <laughs> That's what people would say, right? It's just the economy. Well, in recruiting, it's just the winning. Are you or aren't you? If the answer is you're not, you're not going to get good players to say yes. You'll get the outlier. You'll get a legacy. You'll get the occasional kid who decides, I uh, really believe where they're headed is the right direction for me, and I can be developed better there, whatever. But to sustain excellence in recruiting, you have to have excellent folks interested in playing for you. Well, and that's why this year is is more than critical, you know, you're talking about the health of what we can pitch on the recruiting trail for the next two or three years. Not only do you have a ton of veterans coming back and quite a few players who could have easily made the decision to go stick around. I know NIL helps with that, but the schedule is much easier this year. I know you'll see some surprises develop as always. the year goes along. It always yeah. happens. And then there'll be some teams that you expect to be good that, that aren't quite as good. But there are years when you've got all your ducks in a row and then you've got some kind of crazy-ass schedule like Notre Dame does. You know, it, every once in a while, you yeah, look, at, you yeah, yeah, look yeah. at their schedule, you go, my God, where's the break? Mm -hmm. Well, this year, our home slate, just look at the home games in Tallahassee. You've got Miami and you've got nothing else that's compelling in terms of just who's coming to town. Duke. Virginia I just don't know how Tech. many times I got to tell you how good Duke's going to be next year. Duke, <laughs> Virginia Tech, Syracuse, <laughs> Southern Miss, and North Alabama. Those are the other teams that are going to be playing in Tallahassee. Just a small little indicator of this is the year to get it done. This is the year to make sure the kids keep coming to campus and saying they've had back-to-back 10-plus -back win seasons. They won the ACC. You got to get it done this year because you're purging so many good players this offseason. You don't know what that's going to line up like next year. This one, schedule lines up with veteran presence on the roster. They're going to win a lot of games, Tom, because of that fact. I mean, the, the schedule is not good. And, you know, the only thing you can sell right now if you're trying to sell that home schedule is, hey, come watch a real good team, meaning ours, not the opponent. You know, like you said, Clemson's on the road. You know, Florida's on the road. You get Miami here and hopefully you stomp that ass yet again. Look, we're not as good as we were in the 90s. Nobody's saying that much. We talked about that a little bit last segment, too. But this feels like a 90s schedule. In that, you've got a Class A of a couple of games, maybe a couple of middling ones, and then the rest you should win. Like It feels like there are seven or eight absolutely should win games on the schedule, no matter the sequencing. I, I, I mentioned uh, already the fact that, well... The order of the schedule tonight, we figure it out in terms of when we play those teams. All It does matter. We will do W's and L's. We're being asked about it. W's and L's will happen this week. It's going to happen. It's going to happen on Wednesday. Uh, so, you know, I'm sure there will be a, maybe not an official W's and L's per se for seminal headlines. I'm being, being the boys will talk about the schedule and give us give opinions, but you and I as the originators uh, will do W's and L's. We're, we're getting asked to do. I, and I'm kind of not an originator. I just always got to put that out there. I believe it was you and Matt Millar that, that first created The original, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the OGs of the OGs. But we're getting asked to do a dry run with other teams. This is how you know people want W's and L's. I 
like dry. Uh, listen, I've done dry runs with other teams, W's and L's before too. I especially do it in in cases in which we're allowed to revel in their misfortune. If you enter into a Clemson or a Florida or a Miami W's and L's, and it's rooted in the Schadenfreude to follow, that that is fun. You're right. Florida's going to be an inch. <laughs> Florida's got to get a quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. They got a kid from Wisconsin. It'll be all right. <laughs> He's terrible. We watched him. He's awful. Mega Mertz. Yeah, no, they don't have they don't have anybody. They're gonna they're gonna need to go get somebody. But they've got time. We'll see. They'll maybe go out and get somebody. But right now, it's he's under the pressure. I like that it shifted. Let's just be honest. The the, the pressure to win last year for Mike Norvell was immense. At some point, the weight of the lack of success gets to be overbearing, and no matter the level of competence and work ethic. An effort, you cannot overcome the weight at some point if the losses pile to a point where your reputation precedes you. So you can't go into a house and convince kids that this is still going to work out. At three years of losing, it's too much to overcome. So Florida last year, year one, struggled. It's all right. Coaches get that year usually. There's a new car smell that comes with a new staff, so you still see an uptick, a little bit of an uptick in recruiting. But if they suck again next year, and they're currently slated to suck again next year, he's going to be in that unenviable position of needing to see a radical shift in fortune on the field. And, you know, it's it's funny how quickly it goes from being on this sideline to a rival's sideline. What's funny, though, and uh, maybe not if you're talking about finding a path for Florida to be relevant and bounce back, is that after this season, you've got a 12-team playoff. So if you can find a way to be one of those at-large teams, you're saving your job. These are more opportunities. Oh, time and again, yeah. The coaches love when there are more seats at the table for the postseason. Oh, that's why in basketball they've been talking about having a 90-16 tournament right. and everything else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I made the tournament. Well, so does everybody, man. It's like the NHL playoffs or the NBA playoffs. You're like, man, three-quarters of the league is right. making the playoffs. It's like saying, <laughs> I mean, what are we doing here? We played in the regular season. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. You have to. Yeah. As long as relegation's not coming to America's sports, like you just can back your ass, your average ass. The Bucks just did it. That's right. The Bucks had a losing record and won the division. Now that says a lot more about the other sorry ass teams in that division. But hey, be better. Be better. Be average. Try to catch the back to back champions of the conference. Be yeah. of the division. Be average, and you would have won. Yeah. But yeah, that's so. When you hear coaches are like, "Well, we." You know, I don't know, guys. We, we were there in the postseason. That's all you can ask. Give yourself a chance. Well, everybody's making that. So, yeah, when they get to 12 teams, it's not quite the same. But, yeah, you're right. Just get you to nine or ten wins, and you'll be in that playoff. If you're in a Power 5 league and you bother to schedule decently outside the conference. Hour number two, forthcoming. Stay with Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. this right now and you or someone you know is active military, a veteran, police officer, firefighter, nurse, or a teacher, turn up the volume and listen to this. My friend Shannon with Legendary Home 